0: This is Don Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcast that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com/slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to the Secrets of Star Trek episode number 25.
1: Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make tell? So. Surrender is not an option. Attention
2: Crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: And today we're discussing the first Star Trek Voyager episode, Caretaker. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So this is the first episode of, uh, this, of Star Trek Voyager. It aired, uh, January 16th, 1995. It was a two-parter. Um, it, uh, kind of falls into the, 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 uh, the pattern that we've seen of Star Trek uh, new series in the '90s, in the '90s, uh, where there's a handoff from the previous series. Uh, you know, we we've got uh, you know a, a character shows up from the previous one, and, and there's some overflow into the into the new thing. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot of um, behind the scenes drama that went into the making of this
1: series Hmm. um we just finished the long only they could have transitioned that on screen
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right that might have been part of the problem so we we just finished the long run of uh star trek next generation it's transitioning to uh movies and um deep space nine is ongoing it's 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 hit its stride at this point and we've got this new series and what do we do with it do we do just another Starship exploring like we did with the original series or next gen, or do we do something new and so they decided we needed to do something new. We need to have um you know they came up with the starship flung into the far reaches of the galaxy, far from home, making its way home
1: and and that wasn't unreasonable. You do need to do something to differentiate mm-hmm. this from next gen, yeah, because i mean next there had been such a gap between the original series and next gen that you could say, okay, guess what? We're going to explore the galaxy again on our new ship. And right. and and nobody would have said, oh, we've seen that premise before. Actually, a lot of people did say that, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but they got over it quickly. <laughs> um, so with Next Gen being such a fresh memory and even then going on to do movies, you needed the spinoff series to do something different. And right. DS9 did the obvious thing of let's use a space station instead of a spaceship. So, if we're going to, if we've already played the space station card um, or are currently playing it, we need to do something with the ship, but how can we make it different? Let's do Lost in Space. That's reasonable.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And um, they amp up the drama as much as they can by throwing in this conflict between the Maquis, who are introduced in uh, Deep Space Nine, and Starfleet and throwing these two crews together, which is supposed to create lots of conflict, but eventually doesn't. I mean we kinda of talked about all this in our overview of Voyager, yeah. so I don't mm-hmm. want to spend too much time on that.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, so in in this episode we start with like opening text, you know, which yeah. I guess we also saw <clears throat> in uh you know, yes, nine. Nine, nine had it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we have a very star Star Wars like opening with a big Cardassian ship versus the small, small Maquis <laughs> ship. I
0: noticed the same thing. <laughs> and,
1: and then we meet Tuvok the liar. It's like, wow, yeah. this is the most lyingest Vulcan ever. Undercover exactly. Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs>
2: One thing I noticed is that the the cabin of that uh, Maquis shuttle just happened to look exactly like the set for the DS9 runabout.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) A little redressed, yes. Um, One of the things that they mentioned was like, so due to the cost of building Voyager's Bridge and converting the old next-gen sets, uh, then they had to reshoot the scenes that they'd already shot with Genevieve Bujold for Janeway. Um, It was awful. Yes, and and she had to be replaced early on in production. Um, they had to bring in uh, um, uh, Kate Mulgrew and they reshoot all that. Uh, it was the, great, but-, but but they had to reshoot her stuff again because um, she has her, you know, when she has her hair down, it's kind of fine, and it and it looked all weird uh, within the in all the various shots. Like you could see light through it, so that's why in she the has dailies. yes, and that's why they had to um, have reshoot it with her this updo that she has early on um, <clears throat> that. that bulbous bun. That Which I'm glad been. they got
2: rid of eventually because yeah, it, it made her terrible. look really stern and yeah. it wasn't An making look at all.
0: Right. Um, and then they had very ambitious special effects scenes and in a substantial amount of location filming, this episode's final budget made it the most expensive television episode in Star Trek history. Uh, and when you adjust for inflation, still, <laughs> it's yeah. even more. Ex- and when you adjust for inflation, it's even more expensive than of Khan, which many people say was the best Star Trek movie, um, right. so that's that's a pretty pretty substantial budget for this. Uh, so it's it's very interesting just to, to, to talk about in this this sense of this. It's a what they essentially made was a movie uh, out of this pilot here, mm-hmm. and I just wish it'd come out more movie like. So yeah. so what do we have? We have the Maquis. They get very much developed in Voyager, and we have. These the, the sense in this of uh, former Starfleet, sort of rebellious. They don't quite fit in. Some of them are mercenaries. Some are in it for uh, the for principle. Uh, you know, we we kind of get this. They're, they're like uh, rebels and revolutionaries. Um, and we get mm-hmm. that early on in this. Um, we we can kind of divide this episode into two parts. We have the first part, which really involves the caretaker.
1: Well, then, they kind of did divide it into two parts, each forty-five minutes long.
0: Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> and then we have a, a like a second uh, s- a screenplay story uh, involving the Okampa, which still has the caretaker involved, but uh, we we sort of very consciously shift from one to the other in this. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have you know our various characters the uh, who are different early on um, Chakotay. He's got his uh, indeterminate Western Hemisphere, Native American background of some sort, um, which we get references to. It's very they're very conscious of his of presenting him as a Native American of some sort.
1: Um, But what they're very unconscious of is the acceptability of having Tom Paris doing all these American Indian slurs at him in the 24th century. (laughs) Exactly. I I thought racism was a thing of the past. Come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah. But
0: it at one point the wrong kind of Indian. I think it was Chakotay's. The the idea
1: that
2: if I I save your life, you've got a life debt to me. And that's wrong tribe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe, you know, maybe all that PC stuff is gone in the 24th century and we can we can take a joke about things maybe that we'll see. it will say didn't didn't <laughs>
1: feel like he was joking
0: well because yeah. because uh what was it uh, apparently that the uh at the academy they teach uh racism against ferengi uh as we see with mm. uh, uh yeah. poor poor harry kim who's just a a babe in the woods uh, when he gets to deep space nine and quark tries to cheat him and uh so, that know, was the, a funny scene. Yes, that was, that was clever. Scene.
2: That was pretty I, good.
0: I find it very interesting that the character they chose, the token character, for the old series sending off the new series, is core. not Star anyone from Starfleet, nothing like that. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of because with Deep Space Nine, it was very much you know very clearly for a reason, Picard handing off to Cisco. Uh, it was very dramatic and tense, and this was very lighthearted and a very different feel to it. So I thought that was an interesting difference
1: it may have had to do with actor availability it may have also had to do with who if, if we're trying to introduce harry kim because they're staging the actors as they introduce them and are not giving them to right. us all at once so we don't right. have information overload so it's like okay we need a way to introduce harry kim do we have anything for him? Well, where would an ensign plausibly be at the beginning of this story? He'd right. be in a bar. And that right. would make quite yeah. logical.
0: He's, you know, his first time out in the deep space. He's checking out the, the, the place. And he, you know, first the first time the uh, the fresh out of the Academy sailor shows up in a port bar. Someone's going to try to cheat him. That's just you know, yeah. the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, it, it really is a reasonable way of doing it. And and it's it clever because by this time, by this time, Quark had been, de- had developed into a beloved character on DS9. Right. He was the breakout
1: character. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it also, it gives us a character moment for Tom Paris, who is sort of a bad guy, but with a heart of gold and, you know, the, our mm-hmm. Starfleet people that we, that we're supposed to, you know, really respect and idolize that's, that Starfleet, they don't like Tom Paris. So there's automatically like,
1: are we not supposed to like this guy? Because right. I um, don't think he does really have a heart of gold in this episode. I think he has a heart of normalness, but well, he also saves, this bad boy <laughs> yeah. overlay.
0: He does save Harry from being cheated and sort of befriends him uh, a little bit. You yeah. know, so there's a little, you know, the, Harry's got the lost puppy thing that uh, that he got. So let's talk about Tom first. We, we, we had mentioned in the overview that Tom Paris um, was not supposed to be the character it was supposed to be mm-hmm. um was it nick lucarno from the next generation episode the first duty and he was the right. uh, the washed out of the academy and we we're supposed to understand that he went to go with the maquis
1: and for yeah, whatever was like, why why did they change that that would have been great
0: yeah for whatever reason i think they wanted to maybe shed the baggage or add that uh, nick's um dad was an admiral or something i don't know it was very interesting that they that they made the changes it probably says some something somewhere out there on the, on the net that uh, hmm. explains it. And if anyone knows that we, we'd welcome the feedback at track. My,
1: my guess would be they wanted to give him the admiral dad and they couldn't have plausibly said, Oh, and by the way, Nick Lacarno's dad was an admiral who we never saw in that episode.
0: Right. Like if his dad was an admiral, he would have showed up <laughs> at the hearings yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, I do I do notice that the uh, enlightened future version of incarceration still includes being transported to the Antipodes, uh, <laughs> sent to a penal colony but, in New Zealand. But not for life. But not for life, right. <laughs>
2: and probably a lot more comfortable than it was when Australia was a penal colony.
0: Yeah, I'm going to guess that. Um, uh, we have it, So he's recruited to betray his old colleagues by guiding the voyager to through the badlands to where they're at although he doesn't do a whole lot of guiding uh by the way once they get there
1: yeah um
0: he's just sort of standing there uh at you know not doing much while they get hammered by this displacement wave um there and, is and
1: at that point we get to meet the doctor now that the physical doctor ends right. up dying the, who very by many the way was the very
2: unpleasant that that yeah the, the original doctor was very unpleasant
0: yeah it did mm-hmm. not he was not likable in fact much of the crew that gets killed in that first episode, the first officer, the helmsman, they were all kind of, well, no, no great loss. I mean, none of them were yeah. all
1: that likable, which is but, what you'd want to do from a certain, but either we don't want to know these people at all, or we certainly don't want the audience becoming attached to them. If we're about to kill them off. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I love the doctor's initial lines. Um, when he shows up, please state the nature of the medical emergency. Great line. Also, Tricorder, and then someone hands him a tricorder, medical tricorder. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Where's where's the nurse? Where's the like? Well, that's the funny thing is like when you, an emergency medical hologram is activated, it's probably because the re- regular medical staff is not available. So for him right. to be uh
1: to, to yeah. not realize that, yeah. Um, well, it could be. I mean, he could assume the doctor is unavailable, but uh, nurses might be more plentiful. Right.
0: That's that's possible. I suppose.
1: And By the by the I, by the way, I, I don't know if I mentioned I may have mentioned this in our overview of this, but last year or earlier this year, I was um at a social occasion where someone um went into cardiac arrest mm. and mm. the everybody who was there instantly just snapped into place and started doing things to save this guy's life, and we did. Um, and it was my job to talk to 911 and other mm. people were like giving CPR while, uh, I was also, I ran and got the uh, defibrillator that was at the facility and so forth. And they have these amazing, it was kind of like an EMH. We had, um, the defibrillators they have now. Will talk you through the CPR process. Mm -hmm. They'll, you know, they put the, they instruct you on how to place the pads for an EKG. They tell you to get clear. They'll tell you it'll start the shocking procedure. It'll say now give breath, and it'll to tell you when to breathe into the person's lungs. And so that was kind of an interesting experience. But what I found dis and very dramatic experience. What I found disheartening though was talking to nine one one because. I I assumed, you know, I dial 911 and I assume I'm going to get the equivalent of please state the nature of the emergency. Right. Right. And I didn't. And it's like come on, fiction is more let's get things moving than this is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought that Real Life 911 could take a tip from Voyager and that's probably the <laughs> nicest thing I'll ever say about Voyager. <laughs> well let's talk about some of the other aspects
0: of uh of of this episode. Um one I felt it was very odd to see Voyager as it was supposed to be, you know, whole um you know still in the Alpha Quadrant, you know with the 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 the, the uh the dining room being with with the is no kitchen in the dining room. People right. doing the jobs that they're supposed to be doing—it um, not makeshift at all. It was—I thought it was a very interesting experience to kind of to see that again. You know, given yeah, the, the contrast of what
2: they developed the ship and the crew into versus what it was originally,
0: right? And um, I, I found Janeway to be very stiff. I mean, she's a, she's kind of stiff mm-hmm. throughout the series, but very stiff uh, in the beginning. Um, But perhaps that's because Kate Mulgrew was a late addition to the cast.
2: Well, there's always been that there's always been that aspect of the, you know, just as, um, you know, we talk about uh, with Dr. Who at at a regeneration, um, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're growing into their character. Well, there's always been that aspect in Star Trek. Look at, you know, look at Picard at the beginning of Next Gen. He was a jerk. Yeah. He was not liked. And, but, he, but again, he became one of the more beloved characters of that
1: series. Although he never um, got unstiff.
2: No, well, no he just became no. more beloved. And, <laughs> and
1: Avery Avery Brooks in yep. DS9, he was always very stiff too. I mean, except in, in it, with his underlings, not right. with right. his son or his girlfriend, but with his underlings, he was always strict.
0: Right. And, mm-hmm. and actually, well, he loosened up. I mean, it, there were times when it was Jed Zia and Jedzia, yeah. Yeah. So, so there was a, there, we were supposed to get some humanizing moments with Janeway and her boyfriend and their dog and that sort of stuff, but um, it felt a little stiff. And in fact, um, that whole scene where Harry's like, you know, calls her sir. And then she says, uh, you know, I know others captains are okay with sir, but don't call me sir. Says, ma'am. And then she says, well, um it's okay, and uh you know, and he says, yes, captain, well, that it crunch time, and then she's like, it's not crunch time yet, it's like you know there is protocol you know this is it's yeah. not just your preference lady it's this is how things are done exactly. to help things run properly, and so you have yes and sir because you because you not just yes but yes, sir, because it conveys I understand and I will carry it out, not mm-hmm. you know I mean. By the court, you served in the military. You understand a little bit of that. Well,
2: you know, and I mean, immediately in the Air Force, uh, we would do sir or ma'am. Right. You know, um, at least for officers. Now, like if I'm talking to another enlisted, I might, you know, say airman so-and-so or sergeant so-and-so. Right. Uh, But for officers, it was always yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But not just uh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it was... um, and i mean it, it really depended to yeah if it, if more familiar would you would say like yes captain or yes you know lieutenant or whatever you right. know but uh to to have it dressed down like that i i most officers wouldn't do that
1: yeah i, I think that's really just because they previously established in star trek that by the 23rd century you had Cap, You had female officers being called sir, like Mr. Mm-hmm. Savick. Right. And and they w- didn't want to put Janeway in that role. They wanted her to be able to be more feminine and be okay with ma'am, which would sound more natural to the ears of the ongoing audience. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that – I think the, the that was just an excuse to get the ma'am-sir issue resolved for the sake of the audience.
0: So we have this this uh, the premise is that uh, this caretaker being is looking for a mate to to create a a progeny that will continue its mission to care and watch over uh, watch over the Okapa.
1: I've got to think there's a better way to date than randomly seizing (laughs) ships from across the galaxy and hoping (laughs) one of them is is your mate. Delta Quadrant Um, Tinder. Yeah, I was like, yeah. come on, can't, can't, isn't there an Swipe app left. you guys can use?
0: Swipe left. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. That's not, No, that's some random dating. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, the Maquis end up over there, and then the, the Voyager ends up over there, and they end up in this illusion, this weird illusion, which I, I don't, I'm I'm not sure what the point was, is why doesn't the caretaker just transport them over there in their, like, unconscious state, and test them like what was the point of this illusion
1: yeah i know and it's 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 also plays into i mean you have this disorienting environment where it's like maybe 19th century america and we're on a farm and people are playing banjos and starting to dance. And it's, and you know, this is, this is meant to be creepy. And it's like, guys, this is going to turn deliverance on us. This is a <laughs> yeah. standard anti Southern right. American Hollywood trope where right. the Southerners end up getting portrayed as menacing in some way. Right. The pitchforks yep. come out. Literally.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Literally. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. It was so, it was so weird. And then, um, but when the when the caretaker is eventually confronted uh, with you know the kidnapping of people and dragging them away from their part of the galaxy, he says it was necessary. And it's interesting that the the caretaker's ethics are essentially this this alien being is situational. It's very much subjective. Right. I, I I need it. It's utilitarian. I need I needed you. I used you, and I'm discarding you. And it's very exactly. interesting.
1: Yeah, except he's got this weird, other than his mating prime directive, he's he's also got this, I did something to the Ocampans in the past, and therefore I owe them big time. That trumps anything I might do to anybody else. Yeah, well, right. you did something bad to
2: us. Yeah, <laughs> like, send us back. yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, but but you're not part of a whole planet. You're just
1: a little starship. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, speaking of the Ocampans, um, I, I had in my notes, you know, once... Janeway starts interacting with them. It's like, wait, we're really at Jim Kirk levels of Prime Directive violation right now. I mean, yeah. shouldn't you be calling an ethics committee to talk about how you're interacting with this culture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh,
0: Next Gen. I mean, uh, Voyager throws out uh, the Prime Directive early on, doesn't it? Um, in it fact, throws it out,
2: but it does come up. Every well, once in fact, Janeway gets they throw conf- it out there. Sh- she does get confronted.
0: To their credit, they do confront her with her violations. Of the Prime Directive later on in uh, seasons, um, I find the, it's interesting. The, the original Okampa were much more telepathic than Kes ever was. I mean, mm-hmm. she we she eventually becomes a, a, a telepathic super being later on for some reason, but and and she does just demonstrate some telepathic abilities at times. But in this episode, telepathy appears to be a primary means of communication among them, right? Uh, which is interesting. Uh, so so that so that was a little different um we have uh Jane Wayne Tuvok they uh, discussing the Ocampa planet they 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 say it's an M class with an atmosphere but it has no moisture at all and no nucleogenic particles in the atmosphere which means no rain and i'm like which that's nonsense nucleogenesis is a real yeah. thing has nothing to do yeah. with the atmosphere <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a
2: nuclear reaction yeah, its particles and- that are produced from a nuclear reaction such as a nuclear bomb or inside of a star
0: or yeah. well in, or in, in the earthbound case it's the natural decay of uh, uranium in the ground, you know, mm-hmm. it's natural radiation. Right.
1: It's, it has nothing to do well, with rainfall. That's that's what causes rain, don't you know?
0: Yeah, apparently. Also, well, the
1: idea of no moisture is clearly hyperbole. There couldn't be a biosphere if there was no moisture.
0: Well, and in fact, like, it, not just on this planet, but it, like, there's, supposedly there's no water in, anywhere within range of the Kazon or Neelix's vessel. Like this is yeah.
1: this, this is this is ridiculous because it's like V where the aliens wanted water or something, right? Um, it's it, it, because hydrogen and oxygen are two of the most common elements in the universe. <laughs> right. All you gotta do is bring them together. <laughs> no, there, I mean, there there are no
2: comets that are ice balls. There are no well, nothing, well, nothing that could produce water. It's like you know, ooh, what is this technology you have to produce water?
0: It's called, it's, it's called. I mean, we have it in the twentieth century. You have spaceships that can travel between planets. Like, how could you not be able to make water? Yeah, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, well, Frank, because frankly, how could you survive without w- water at the level that they that they demonstrate? I mean, yes, we have civilizations on Earth who live in uh, desert-like areas that that mm-hmm. have to harvest water from unusual sources, but usually they're small uh, civilizations with with, with very, yeah. you know, very little technology. They, they
1: don't have spaceships.
0: Right. It's uh, it's very, uh, um, yeah. it's, it, it, it's hard to buy. And, yeah. and that was unfortunate.
1: One of the first things you do as you start to develop technology is figure out how to get reliable sources of water, even if it means moving.
0: Well, well in fact, water yeah. is a byproduct of early rocketry. Uh, you know, rockets. Uh, when they combine the hydrogen and the oxygen in the uh, in our in our rocket engines, it actually produces water vapor. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, one of the things I noticed with this watching this now is how much the caretaker story is like the story of uh, ego in Guardians of the Galaxy two. Did either of you see that uh, movie? Oh, sure. Yeah. So in that one, Kurt Russell is this planet uh, creature who is searching for. Uh, a mate to to produce progeny uh, and discarding those that are unworthy or that mm-hmm. don't measure up uh, or aren't fitting yeah. uh, so it's, uh, I thought it was going to be I felt like maybe uh, James Gunn was lifting a little bit from uh, a Voyager uh, but I thought that was interesting Cass um, Ke- comes off as a more interesting character here, mm-hmm. uh, in my view than she does in the rest of Voyager in yeah. many ways uh, I think she only goes downhill. For
2: bit you. more, bit more sy- sympathetic here, and I think that was part of the problem that eventually led her to uh, be replaced by the uh, eye candy. I mean, seven oh nine. Yeah.
0: Well, if seven was stronger than Cass ever proved to be, Cass became very much like the wide-eyed innocent, where she mm-hmm. wasn't as much of in this episode.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the issue. I mean, the essence of drama is character conflict, and Cass just had no character conflict. Yeah. You know, she, 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 I mean, she had little flashes of it at times, um, but she was apparently saving it all up for becoming an angry super being that wanted to kill everybody.
0: Yeah. In an episode that made no sense. And we'll talk about that someday when we get to it. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Um, But in this episode, she's actually almost like Neelix's conscience because Neelix is much more morally, you know, uh, much less of who he eventually becomes. I mean, he's, he's a little more. Willing to do things and betray and underhanded he, sly. He, he's
1: the slimy wheeler dealer character.
0: Yeah, he's a lot less of that in the future. Um, mm-hmm. By the end of the episode, you, we've they've kind of settled into their new roles. Um, and then we have the introduction of one of my least favorite of all villains in uh, Star Trek: the Kazon. The the, oh, bad, the wild
2: haircut. The bad hair
1: the, people. Uh, yeah, the racial bad hair day. It's amazing. Um, so I was unclear on why do the Kazon want to attack the caretaker? Did either one of y'all have a good handle on that? They, they wanted the technology maybe? That's that's the only thing I could think of was it was
2: get the power from his, the technology that he had in his, his space station okay. to be able to, the array to be able to conquer more, conquer oh, other
1: people any- or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're kind of punching above their class. I mean, for something that can whisk starships seventy thousand light years in a second, mm-hmm. all he has to do is give your ship a little push, and you're never going to see home again.
0: Well, I think yeah. they they know at this point that the that the caretaker is done. It's like it's like the house is empty, um, which is mm-hmm. why they're attacking since he's no longer, you know, sending those energy blasts to the Ocampa. Um, right. But the the thing that happens here at the end of this episode is some is. Sort of the, uh, like uh, another thing that didn't get thought through that undermines the entire premise of the series, which is, Janeway. way uh, oh, as, yeah. as in principle, we we have to sacrifice our ability to get home to keep For the, the right? To keep the technology out of the hands of the Kazon, protect the Ocampa. So we're going to yeah. destroy the array. Like, hey, I have an idea. Let's set a timed bomb. That's what I was thinking. That goes off yeah. just after we use well, the technology to send us back home. To be
2: fair, to be fair, they did say that when the Kazon ship crashed into the array, it it destroyed or damaged the self destruct stuff. Okay, let's let's lose that conceit that. In this entire array, there's only one spot where the entire self-destruct mechanism exists. Okay, <laughs> we'll use that conceit. Right? They couldn't have set some kind of timer on their little photon torpedo right. thingy, so that they would have sat there and circled for like five minutes, and then boom.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I'm th- saying. This is like it's it. it, it like, you could come up with a track, you know, a plausible technology explanation. I know it undermines the very premise of the series, which yeah. is that they're stuck in this. But it, what it shows to me well, is, is that they didn't think it out. They 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 said, well, it's good enough. You know, there's a hole yeah. there, but let's just move on.
1: It, it, I think it's even worse than that, because not only is there that problem, but you have this all this build up to Janeway's dramatic moral choice. Do we stay or do we go? And mm-hmm. we stay to protect the Ocampa. And then what happens immediately after? Oh, let's just abandon the Ocampa and start heading home. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Leave them to their Kazon friends. Well, I
0: mean, yeah, I guess they assume that the Okampa are safe underground. Uh, now that for the, five uh, years. Uh, except for the little holes that are everywhere. Right, for five years. I don't know what they're yeah. going to do in five years. Uh, hopefully they figure out how to take care of themselves in that time. Um, so, you know, as she says to the, Oca- to the caretaker about the Okampa, it's the challenge of surviving on their own that helps them to evolve. Uh, which actually, in a way, is... Her about the the Voyager crew. This is what they're going to mm-hmm. do. Is they're going to have to survive on their own, to and evolve to make it home, and that's what happens in Voyager. So it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a um, you know, self. Uh, you, know, a, a, I'm trying to say it's it's a, the writer inserting a bit in there that that has two meanings uh, to it for, for our consumption. One of the things that the, that also. kind of came up for me was chakotay defers to janeway in everything right off the bat like yeah he he is a rebel he has abandoned his his standing in starfleet to become a a maquis rebel and she was hunting him down and suddenly now she makes all the decisions and he just goes along with it
1: exactly yeah there there are a number of additional logic problems like that. Um, the caretaker and his mate are explorers from another galaxy. So you only sent two of them and they don't have an effective way to communicate?
0: No, no, no. no. They said two of us were left behind. So there was okay. more of them and they okay. were left there. But still, you, your species you left two people away? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And uh also Balana is like telling uh so with Voyager and the Maquis ship talking about the Kazon ship, Balana at one point says, neither of us has enough firepower to stop that ship. And so that's the pretext for getting the Maquis ship destroyed. Right. But then it doesn't seem like Voyager does has a big problem here. Because
0: because it doesn't have a uh, ability to defend itself against Kazon,
1: yeah. Or I mean, and, and so yeah, yeah that's yeah. If, I mean, if one ship, one ship, of course, they
2: kind of backtrack that too, because it went from oh, we don't have enough firepower to deal with this one big ship, to all of a sudden Voyager was the most powerful ship in the gal in that part of the galaxy, and and, well, and no, you know, late and later episodes, no, yeah.
0: No, they they do they they don't actually abandon that point. It comes up in the first season whenever, like when they encounter the Kazon, um, that they that there are different sized Kazon ships, and some of the Kazon ships are big enough that they do represent a major threat to Voyager. Hmm. Uh, so, I think what they're saying here is is you know the regular firepower isn't enough, so they ram the big Kazon ship with uh, the Maquis vessel, which then. You know, causes it to crash into the caretaker array, mm-hmm. uh, and puts it out of commission. So now they just have the small Kazon on ships to deal with, and that lets uh, Voyager escape at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't see that as a, as a, as a big hole in this, in, in the logic, just because hmm. we do see them have to deal with the, the on in that, from that okay, view, which is actually not a bad thing that they aren't the most powerful anymore anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. No, you wouldn't want them to be. Yeah. Um, one – another – Just this is just a minor thing, but <clears throat> you know how – if you've ever seen the movie Forbidden Planet, uh, there where there's an ancient dead race called the Krell, and Walter Pigeon explains – as a human scientist, he explains that um, no record of their physical form has survived, which is ridiculous. But you can get an idea of what they looked like based on the shapes of their doors – and he points to their one of their doors and it's like almost a Pentagon, or, <laughs> right. you know? And and so you can imagine someone fitting through that the way our bodies fit through our rectangular doors. Well, okay, so when we finally see the caretaker without the cornpone turned sinister illusion, yeah. um it's a big blob. Yep. And it's in this incredibly angular ship. I mean, what's going on with the blob designers? <laughs> I know I mean did
0: they there were there were actual like beds and things Did it, did it have to create those yeah. <laughs> in the thousands of years? yeah, that was um yeah, it didn't seem quite to fit, and apparently they take the caretaker's body with them uh because as we see later on um it begins to vibrate in the presence of another of the same species mm, yeah. they uh so in general, it's like a lot of the other. First episodes of the series for Star Trek, uh, a bit of an uneven beginning. Um,
1: so so far the best, um, well, of the nineties <laughs> era Star Treks, eighties and nineties Star Treks. I think Deep Space Nine has the best of the beginnings we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, uh, I would agree with.
2: That. Um, I thought
1: you were to say this is the best of the Voyager
2: episodes we've watched so far. <laughs>
0: well, that's true by definition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: There uh, are some better ones. Yes, yes,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm more sanguine about the uh, Voyager than than Jimmy is, and, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we did get. I did notice several instances of some kind of. Uh, oh yeah, and we did expend a number of photon torpedoes. So that uh, <laughs> so let's start the count now uh, of uh, the number of photon torpedoes that Voyager is Do- carrying.
1: Do I recall in this one they said we only have six, and then they used all six, or am I thinking of some another no, scene in the Star Ma- Trek?
0: The Maquis vessel had only six. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. But the, I think at some point they—I don't know if it was this one or—or. Or, or, uh, oh no! It's up.
1: from the it, it's from the Deep Space Nine uh, premiere. Yeah. Was, oh right! Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: That's right. That they only had six. So, uh, so <clears throat> I guess that's it on voyage on uh, on uh, caretaker uh, for us. Um, I'll throw it out to the audience. What Did, did you have anything particularly that you loved about it? Uh, other things that we might have missed, uh, plot points or behind the scenes clues to um, why the, why it showed up the way it is? Why was Tom Paris replacing Nicola Carnot? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, send us a, a message. Go to sqpn.com uh, slash Trek or the uh, SQPN Facebook page and leave us a comment on the show's episode there. Uh, you can leave us feedback there or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com uh, You can find links relevant to our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com um, And please, if you could uh, like, share, uh, retweet, uh, and get just get the news out about our podcast, Secrets of Star Trek. Uh, there are lots of Star Trek fans out there um, and there are other Star Trek podcasts, but we think ours is unique. We have a unique voice clip you need to share. If you're enjoying this, chances are your other Star Trek fans will too. But please share the, the podcast with them. And uh, we, you can subscribe iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and even on YouTube at the SQPN YouTube channel. Uh, so we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek Enterprises first episode, uh, Broken Bow. And until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek.
2: Yeah, thank you, Dom.
0: Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well.
1: Live long and prosper.
0: And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcasts you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com slash give.